Attention, attention all personnel, it's MASHCAST! Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates episode by episode the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which shared on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, General Robert Iron Guts Kelly, and joining us this week in the VIP tent is Lieutenant Corey Musa. Hi, Corey. Hi. Hi, Rob. I'm so happy to be a lieutenant. This is amazing. I should really give you a captain's rank because while this is your first episode of MASHCAST proper, you were on our live table read episode when we did the the table read for the, the 50th anniversary of MASH. And so this is actually really your second appearance on the show. So I probably should have started with captain. But the problem is I run out of ranks to give everybody as we go through the seasons. So we're starting you with lieutenant, but, but in, in my mind, you like have kind of an honorary cap. You know what? I love being a lieutenant and I'm, I'm happy to stay at the bottom for a while because <laughs> I like the challenge of working my way up. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, we're here to talk about the season six episode, the smell of music. It is the 15th episode from the season and originally aired on January 3rd. 1978 first show of the new year now before we get to the plot synopsis Corey, from what i understand you are you're coming to mash fandom kind of currently with this podcast right because you didn't watch the show as a kid it was off the air before you were really around so you're get you're getting to it just now right i mean for the most part yeah that's like i've i've been a fan of this show and i've actually enjoyed watching the show uh the TV show along with listening to the podcast. And it's like, I remember the theme song as a child more than anything else. And I remember my parents watching the show or my mom watching the show. And it was, you know, like, you know how the laugh track wasn't there in the, uh, the operating scenes, like Mm -hmm. that made it all very scary to me. (laughs) And I just didn't want to watch it. So I never watched MASH with my family or anything. I just knew it existed. And I knew that it was supposed to be some amazing, great show that had this amazing series finale. And then when you started originally doing the show and the theme song would start playing, which it used to play on your podcast Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning, it just was very nostalgic. And I was like, I want to watch MASH. And so I've been slowly going on this journey. I don't know how it ends. You know, I'm not really past this episode so yeah <laughs> i kind so of you. i do i have a lot ahead of me and i'm i'm really enjoying watching the show's transition of of tone from one thing to another i i have like deep appreciation for what the first few seasons of the show are with henry blake and I, I really did enjoy that. and there was like a morning period that i had to adjust to when colonel potter came in and also the tone of the not the show, but maybe the characters start shifting and they start becoming, you know, more real. And anyway, these these newer seasons now um, have been actually really awesome. I wasn't sure what to expect as we're moving into some of the more um, drama. And there's kind of an equal mix of, of humor and drama happening in these episodes. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm kind of digging where we are right now. I really like the addition of Charles, surprisingly, to the cast. I didn't uh, I thought I was really, really going to miss Frank. And I don't even notice him gone. Um, Charles fills that void pretty well. He's just a different kind of obnoxious. So you really have not gone past this show. You're watching them like that. You're, you're going one. Of, so you you said you've never seen the last episode. I might have seen a bit or a piece of it. You sure, know, I, I mean, the, right. The past 40 years, pop culture osmosis. I mean, you can see bits and pieces of it, but that's cool. I I, I envy that. I envy you have that in front of you because there's a lot of good good episodes in your future. Well, I, I, you know, I appreciate how passionate you are about the show. It's, it's, it's really refreshing to hear somebody show so much love and respect for – you know, this piece of television history that is almost forgotten by a newer generation right now. So uh, it's really cool. I, I really um, I enjoy listening to your passion about this podcast, Rob. I think it's really special. And I enjoy that you've gotten to meet some of your heroes from the show now and interview them. And that's been a really cool journey to be able to listen to. Thank you. Yes. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, Corey uh, here is a big time movie producer. If you go on his IMDb page, you'll see lots of amazing movies that Corey has been involved with. 
I don't, I, I should know this about your filmography, but have you produced any television or has it all been movies? Um, yeah, no, I have not produced any television. I, I, I have only produced movies. I have been on quite a few television sets at this point. It's something I'm quite jealous of. I really like, um, the way TV happens. It's, you know, I'm, I'm an independent film producer. So our productions are a little less structured than a, a television shoot. Sure. Gets. Sure. And the permanency of getting to go just kind of to the same place every day, day in and day out, working with, you know, the same people over and over again, that actually all sounds super appealing. They have tight ships, you know, they get in, they get out. Everybody wants to make it home for dinner at the end of the night. <laughs> um, it's it's cool. And a show like MASH is just, you know, what a joy it would have been to to work on that set. Where where did they film it, Rob? I mean, I do I what do you mean? What do you mean where did they Where film where it? was that like base camp that they were always at? Like where 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 is that set located? Was that in Los Angeles or was Oh that... yeah, yeah. I mean, they had it on the 20 the, the the you know, the interiors of the 20th century lot and then somewhere off in the mountains is the are the is the location scenes and those are all gone now. It got burned in a fire and it got destroyed. So right. I think there's little bits and pieces of it left, but it's somewhere out in the California hills somewhere that <laughs> they're shooting it. Um, when you, when you watch a show like this, do you, or even when you do movies, do you feel like you watch things from a producer's eye or you, can you just turn that part off and just enjoy it for, you know, it's entertaining uh, value? I, I do have a hard time turning it off sometimes, but on a show like this, that was made like before I entered the business. <laughs> sure. Um, no, I'm, I'm able to turn it off. I'm, I'm fascinated with MASH. I'm just like. It's more like, why did they do this instead of how did they do this? But yeah, it's it's not something um, that bothers me with that show. I can gotcha. get lost in it. Okay. All right. Well, cool. Uh, like, well, what you, you now that you're in kind of the there's one more, I would say my, most MASH fans would agree. There's kind of one more era in your future. Because as I mean, you know, Radar is going to leave the show at a certain point and the tone is going to change. Not so much because Radar leaves, but it just does. The tone changes a bit in sort of the seasons 8, 9, 10, 11. They're, that's kind of a distinct thing. So you still have kind of one more era to get to. But of the three that we've got that you've experienced so far, you know, the the Trapper, Henry years, yep. and then the B.J. Potter, Frank years, and now you've got the B.J. Potter, Winchester, so far just half year. But, like, do you have a particular favorite of that to this point? Um no, I couldn't really say I have a favorite. I, I think they're all interesting for different reasons. And getting to see the actors uh, whose names I can't remember, who play Trapper and and um, Henry. Uh, Wayne Rogers and McLean Stevenson. Right. Like, they're they're fantastic. It was a pleasure to get to watch them. But, like, you know, getting um, um, BJ in is it's like a whole other experience. And. Uh, he's like a whole other different kind of character. And, and he then makes, makes Hawkeye like a much better person, uh, like a, a more relatable, likable character almost. It's, it's kind of interesting how they suit each other in a, in a nicer way than Trapper and, and, uh, Hawkeye suited each other. So, and now this, this newer era that I'm getting into, like I said, I'm actually really digging the chemistry that everybody has with Charles the energy that he is uh, bringing to the show is pretty cool. And he also is like Martian Manhunter in, in that Justice League thing, right? <laughs> you always feel compelled to mention that. I think every yeah. time David Ogden stars has ever come up, you have to mention that he played the Martian Manhunter in that, he, in that he's, pilot. It's so cool. I, uh, that pilot is so, so crazy. Anyway, we'll another time. Um, you've already <laughs> talked about that on other shows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's listen. Let's get to the, the plot synopsis of The Smell of Music. As I said, it aired on January 3rd, 1978, written by Jim Fritzell and Everett Greenbaum, one of the best writing teams uh, MASH ever had. So here they're handling this episode. And it's directed by Stuart Millar. After a long, grueling session in OR, tensions and exhaustion are running high. Back at the uh, swamp, Hawkeye and BJ are driven nuts by Winchester's insistence on practicing on his French horn loudly and badly. They ask him to stop, but he refuses. As revenge, they decide not to shower, hoping they, their stink will drive Winchester to capitulate. But he refuses, and the whole thing escalates. 
Hawkeye and BJ start to offend everyone in camp, ruining what was a rare, tasty breakfast in the mess tent. And Margaret, Colonel Potter, et al. begin to try try to talk and reason into the three of them. But Colonel Potter has other things to worry about. One of his patients, a young man named Saunders, caught the blast of a defective rifle in the face, causing horrible scarring. Potter tries to comfort the young man in post-op, but Saunders is convinced his life is now worthless now that he looks like a freak. He's also sure that his beautiful girlfriend back home will dump him once she gets a look at him. Later, Saunders attempts suicide by taking a huge dose of sleeping pills, but they get to him in time. He wakes up unapologetic, promising Potter he's going to kill himself no matter what. The battle between the three doctors goes overboard, leading to Hawkeye and BJ playing a bunch of handcrafted instruments in an attempt to drown out Winchester's horn playing. While the post-op staff is distracted by the commotion outside, Saunders takes that moment to sneak off. Potter finds him trying to overdose on ether. Potter has had enough and tries a bit of reverse psychology. Instead of stopping him, he grabs the ether mask, turns the tank up to full blast, and shoves it onto Saunders' face. After Saunders gets the sense Potter is serious, he pushes it off, stands up, and threatens to belt Potter if he continues. The colonel observes that Saunders is now fighting to live instead of fighting to die, which finally calms the young man down. Sobbing on Potter's shoulder, he carries him back to the post-op, saying, I'm too old for this kind of crap. Margaret and the rest of the camp, having had enough of the loud and smelly war, take it upon themselves to end it. They drown Hawkeye and BJ in soap and water, and then grab Winchester's horn and flatten it under a jeep. Potter comes out, observes what has happened, and tells everyone they are confined to the officer's club for the duration of the whiskey. Everyone cheers, and then he sweetens it, adding, Pierce, Honeycutt, and Winchester are buying. A few days later, Winchester thinks he's getting his revenge. She's had a local Korean craftsman fix his horn, but the craftsman has the ho- had to hobble together the new horn from different parts, creating a huge, awkward, Frankenstein-esque instrument without a mouthpiece. All right, Corey, that was the smell of music. Now, you specifically Ooh. asked for this episode. So why why was that? Why did you want to go with this one? Um, this episode is the episode where I just felt a shift in tone in such a dramatic way that I wanted to talk about it. And it's, it's really the scene between Potter and, and, and Saunders towards the end, um, and the ether mask. And I was just like caught off guard by that. I really was. I was like, this is Colonel Potter. I hadn't seen him go that dark yet. I don't think I've seen him go that dark. And that was dark. And I don't know. I just was kind of shocked. And so I wanted to talk about it. Fair enough. I mean, yes, uh, we'll get to that specific scene. But uh, the the Potter B plot, I mean, I guess you would argue the one with Winchester and the Hawkeye and BJ is the A plot because the episode is named after it. But this Potter B plot is one of one of the best storylines they ever did, I think. And that moment, again, we'll get to it, I think is one of Colonel Potter's finest moments and in turn, one of the one of the show's best moments. So uh, it opens up. The episode opens with, except it's post uh, surge, post a long session in surgery and Hawkeye and BJ are exhausted. BJ, they talk about how much all they're going to do is sleep. Uh, BJ seems to do something counterintuitive and starts doing pull-ups. And Hawkeye's like, what are you doing? And BJ says, "Oh, you know, it's uh, if you go to sleep tired, you wake up tired. This that give this gives you energy." I I don't know if is that a thing. I I've never heard like I I um, never heard of that. I mean, I don't know. I've, you're asking <laughs> the wrong guy. We'll we'll uh, let's call up Joe Manganiello. Yeah, <laughs> find out the truth. Find out the truth. But Man's then done a lot of pull up in that opening scene. It like so it 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 moves over to. Uh, Charles playing the uh, the tube the trombone. I don't. What is the instrument he's playing? It's a French horn. French horn, and it is actually a striking image. And if you, as an independent filmmaker, if you took if you took the sound out, and there's these dark colors that Mash has these these tones that are these these brown and green darker tones, and it's all very like bland and pale looking. And then you have this sad man in in scrubs with blood on his scrubs. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there by himself playing the French horn. And you, you know, if it wasn't MASH and you were looking at it through a different lens, there's something to really empathize with this person here and what they're doing. And 
the reality is, is all three of them in this scene have blood all over them. And I always just think it's fascinating that they don't even bother to take it off and change. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just there in it. And anyway, that scene just of seeing, um, seeing Charles playing the French horn bloodied up. I'm telling you, like, switch that music with like, take, take the, the sound off, put in some like sad, um, artsy sounding music, add some voiceover and you could like recut this episode into this really sad art house tale. <laughs> uh, one of the things about MASH being so visually drab, you know, everything is green or, you know, brownish kind of grayish, you know, there's really very, very few cheery colors that anytime they introduced any visual element that broke that, it really stands out. You know, anytime they had like you go into Margaret's tent and she has some kind of nice red or clingers outfits, uh, but you've got the horn and it, yeah, it just pops on the screen because it's this nice gold color there. And it's not something we typically see on mesh. And so immediately the battle lines are drawn in that opening scene because Winchester has to, you know, he wants to practice. And of course, uh, apparently in real life, David Ogden Styers actually played the French horn quite well. So this is kind of a, a, a goof that he is playing it badly and it's just bwomp, bwomp, making these kind of really discordant sounds. And you can understand why Hawkeye and BJ are annoyed. You know, it's like, do, do we not, do we need to hear this? But then of course they take all the wrong or in, the, in their perspective, right? Attack on this where they talk about, let's get a, let's go get the shit, hit the showers and Winchester's unfortunately for him says about time and of course that is the you know now now we know yeah yeah uh and it's just i i like this episode i think it's funny and i love the b plot but i do find this whole notion of them not bathing so disgusting that this episode does kind of turn me off a little bit because just the idea of it is so foul I totally agree. They're unlikable creatures in this episode. They're totally in the wrong. They're, but they're being very inconsiderate to everybody. And, um, it's just not nice. And especially to go into the operating room without having showered is just like they shouldn't actually be allowed to operate. <laughs> <laughs> um, Potter allows this. Thing. And, and I think it's, it's a good. I, I've talked about other episodes where I'm not as a big a fan of the ones where the A plot and the B plot are completely disconnected. I like it when they're they're either tangentially related or at least they dovetail at the end. And these are very separate because, of course, the A plot is so silly and the B plot is so serious. But it, it they do kind of blend together in that Potter is busy with this important work that he's doing with this guy Saunders, which you could understand then he's not focusing on stepping in on this earlier than he should be. You know what I mean? Like he let this go on way too long as you're right. He would say to the two of them, I am ordering you do this. That's the end of this discussion, but he lets it go on way longer than he should. No, if you think about it, it's like the first time he becomes aware of the smell on them, he's going into the tent to get a drink from them. And so it's like, look, you, you're getting a drink from them. Don't like, don't tell them they smell. And then by the time he gets done sorting the whole thing with Saunders out and he's basically ready to have a drink again, his staff has forced them into showering, which means he doesn't have to. And then he celebrates that by mm-hmm. basically telling everybody they're going to go get a drink, which he desperately needs then at this moment. Mm-hmm. And, and he's you know, Hawkeye and, and uh, BJ and, and Charles are going to pay. Right. Charles though. I'm, I am like, I, I empathize with Charles a little bit here. I'm like, Charles, you should get to like do whatever it is that you need to bring yourself some joy, but like do it, do it away from the camp for sure. But then they like destroy his horn and it's so <laughs> he gets sad. a much worse punishment. Well, I mean, we'll get to it, but I mean, he gets, he gets way worse a punishment than Hawkeye and BJ. Hawkeye and BJ get forced to bathe. All right. Big deal. They're going to do it anyway. But, but Charles, presumably his family sent him that horn. It's an expensive piece of equipment. They sent it all the way to Korea from Massachusetts and now it's crushed. Like he really kind of gets, he gets a little screwed a little more than the other guys. All for him to find a little bit of joy. He needs relaxation too. Sure. Yeah. He needs, he needs time to chill out and that's his way of doing it. And 
it's kind of not fair um, that he <laughs> loses his French horn over it. The thing that he was using to bring him peace of mind. So, I mean, he could go like to the supply tent and do this or like, you know what I mean? Like it's a big camp. You know, they, they talk about, why don't you go down into the, into the, like the hill and, and practice there. And he's like, the enemy would shoot at me. I'm like, well, you don't have to leave. Can't like <laughs> the camp's a big place. You can, there's gotta be someplace you can practice this that might be annoying, but not maybe right in the laps of your, your fellow tent mates, you know? <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, of course it's, 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 it's also just like Charles is part of the madness at, at at 4077 he has integrated now into this madness it's having an effect on him yes completely and this is this is part of his reaction to it and it's like hawkeye and bj are you know they're they're particularly cruel to him all the time so he is <laughs> clearly taking some satisfaction um with annoying them absolutely so hawkeye and bj go to the mess tent there's a scene that was always cut in syndication that I never saw. And it's a brief moment where we just get this scene with Potter and Father Mulcahy and, and Margaret, where they talk about that the food is actually good. They say the pancakes are actually pretty good for once. And even Margaret says, even the coffee is good. And, and Potter says, I may go back for seconds. That little bit was always snipped in syndication. So I never, I never saw it until I got the, the DVDs. And it's a shame because it adds a lot of context to here's a rare moment where the food is good. One of the rare, what are, you know, they're so rare that these, these poor people who work so hard get any decent food. And here it is. And now Hawkeye and BJ are going to ruin it by sitting next to them and stinking up the place. And it's even that, you know, you're even like, God, yeah, you guys are really being a bunch of dicks here. Cause not, not only is it, you are just offensive in the moment, you're ruining this breakfast for your friends. So, you know, it's like, Oh guys, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't, I, I, I think that's a shame that they would have cut those lines out in the syndicated episodes. That is. That's part of the shape of that scene, for sure. Um, always got to cut something. Always got to yeah. cut something. Yeah. Got to do uh, what you got to do. Yep. Um, so, and I love there's even a, the, their uh, Mulcahy says, it seems to be coming from the stables. And Potter's <laughs> like, it's not my horse. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> and then they hear, you know, they're arguing with Hawkeye and, and BJ uh, Potter is. And then they you know, go ahead, you know, you guys, come on, guys. And then you hear the horn. And uh, they're like, see, this is what we have to deal with. And that's coming from the balcony. Imagine what it's like in the front row. So then Wounded arrive and everybody suits up. And there is a scene with Hawkeye and a nurse. She's an unnamed. She's not named throughout the episode. Uh, She's played by the actress Nancy Steen. She had a bunch of TV credits like Happy Days, Mark and Mindy, The Incredible Hulk. Um, She actually had some producing credits as well. Seems like she's moved into producing after her acting career uh, sort of stopped. But this scene, I really want to mention, right? Because he propositions this nurse. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was so gross when he <laughs> starts doing this. I, I was just like, actually like, oh man, he's not really like putting his arm up around her right now. Ooh, I just came from uh, like a weekend of camping, Rob, where I... I didn't shower for three days and I felt so disgusting after <laughs> day two. I can't imagine like feeling bold and sexy enough to just go put my stink all over somebody. <laughs> exactly. Like, look, I can't, I'm not going to go by my level of uh, romantic confidence that I've had through life. Cause it's, it's a zero pre my wife. It's a zero. I just never had any, I just, just no game. Nothing that that was me. That's and so I can't relate to Hawkeye, who is like Captain Lothario, right? We know that he's very confident in his sexuality. That said, how confident do you need to be? What kind of confidence do you have that you can know you have not bathed for like two days or something or three days, however long it is, and you think that you are so sexy that you will then hit on a nurse? Like, I would be like. I could what I could have used in life with one percent of Hawkeye's confidence, one percent would have done me a lot of good. You know, I'm yeah. just sort of amazed that Hawkeye would. That they, I know it's a comedy scene, and that, that it gives the nurse the chance to say, "You know, we see that 
that this childish bet that they're doing with each other is having real life consequences. It's it's hurting the other members of the staff. It's hurting the nurse, but it's even hurting Hawkeye because he's now not getting any action because of this. So that's how much of a child he is in this moment that it's, he's even willing to keep doing it, even though now he knows nurses are turning him down. No, that it's like as soon as they shower him off, like when when they're they're just finished and fed up with them, he immediately is like got his arms all wrapped around that nurse again, doesn't he? While <laughs> yep, they're yep. like throwing water over him, <laughs> he like takes he doesn't waste a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, Hawkeye does not miss a trick. So uh, we're in the uh, the operating room and we see this patient, Colonel Potter's patient Saunders, who has this giant bandage over the side of his face and they they talk about the how it happened and he said it was that it was a a rifle that went off in his face and the the bolt cut him bolt hit him in the face and it scarred him horribly and um father mulcahy he takes a particular sort of interest in it he even volunteers to help move the litter uh with uh clinger and then they they wheel the patient out of course we will be going back to that story in a moment but the surgery continues uh, Margaret gets so offended. She finally says, Captain's Pearson, Hunnicutt, take a shower, you dirty stinkers. And they, you know, I don't know. We're not, and even Potter says, enough, enough, bathe, will you? And, uh, the nurse says, here, here. And then Winchester chimes in. And then, of course, Margaret's like, look who's talking. None of this would have happened if it weren't for you and your sawed off tuba. So they're both, <laughs> everybody just like, come on, you guys, both of you. And they are being, the cats and jammer kids. And it, I, I completely agree with your point, Corey, about that. We're only halfway through season six. This is a little bit past halfway point. And Winchester is fully immersed in the madness of what goes on at this unit. He is, he is as childish as Hawkeye and BJ are. And that is something he would have not probably recognized in himself just, you know, six months earlier. I mean, he really got a bum deal. I mean, he just got suckered into staying, like beat, not suckered, like trapped into yep. being there. It's, it's really unfortunate for him. Like he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time is how he ended up stuck in the mash unit, basically. Um, and he shot his he, mouth off at the wrong time. He shot his mouth off at the wrong time. And, and that was that. And then he was there and nobody, they weren't going to let him go once they got him in there. And now, He's the most depressed person ever. His family is sending him as much stuff as they can. It's like, was the ep- did we do the episode where he ate all the canned food and got really sick? Yes, yes, yeah. I, I, I like, like I, they sent him like a, a, a whole like duck or something. Yeah, the canned pheasant. Yeah, the yeah. pheasant. Yeah, he's this is a depressed person. Like he's <laughs> all the comforts from home. Frank was like a. Frank was more like a like a, a a spoiled child, and I feel like Charles feels more like a homesick. I mean, Frank even said in one episode, "I love it here." Like he like yeah, this is yep. it's only in this context where Frank Frank was ever given any respect by anybody because they had to, you know. Yeah, which is a whole better situation. He had a whole second life in the army. He mm-hmm. had like a mistress. He had he had everything he wanted, and but Charles. Charles doesn't have anything really at MASH. He doesn't want anything at MASH. He just wants to go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that he has more in common with, you know, the rest of the guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we follow up in post-op and then uh, Saunders is waking up, woken up and uh, Potter talks to him. Uh, the Saunders is played by an actor named Jordan Clark. Uh, he was in shows like Miami Vice, Knight Rider, Fantasy Island, and he was on 471 episodes of the guiding light well i guess we know what he was doing after mash yeah holy 471 shows that is that is a run man uh it's kind of amazing wow yeah no look at that it says on his page it says from 1983 to 2009 i he couldn't have been doing it since 1983 (laughs) so Maybe he was. Yeah. That's just a long run. That, that is, is a long, long, long run. I'm kind of amazed that this role didn't lead to other more dramatic things because I think he crushes it in this episode. This role probably led to Guiding Light. I mean, I guess so. that is, 
Look, as, as, as anybody who works in this business professionally goes, you realize it's just a privilege and a joy to get to work when you get to work. So mm-hmm. you do the one-offs, you do the one-offs, and the hope is always that you're going to book something that's either going to blow you up or is going to be like a continuing gig. Mm-hmm. So like nobody really is complaining about the soap opera uh, trajectory and the good actors can always find their way out of them. And, you know, whatever, Susan Lucci is my hero still. So <laughs> um, all the power to the soap operas are a dying uh, brand, yeah, right? Yeah. Like there's only, there's only one a couple left. Yeah. Left, but I would kind of say that for the past decade, the CW has been the equivalent of those soap operas. I can they see just that. Sure, yeah, super power stuff in it, right? But... <laughs> right, Riverdale, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. But it is like soapy. Everything else is very much like what those soap operas were. Um, That's true. Like, yeah, a lot of filler, a lot of like arguing. So. That's true. Uh, I just think I think he I think he just does an absolutely great job. And then the scene with him and Potter is terrific where he talks about he's just feeling so sorry for himself and he feels like his life is over. He shows a picture of his girlfriend, Linda, to Potter. And he's like, you know, what's what's she going to do when she sees me? And Potter has to kind of gently say, I think your Linda has more to her than that, that she's just so she's not so shallow that she's going to dump you just because you have a, a disfigured face. You know, and Potter gently tries to suggest that and he's not hearing it. And he even says her looks are very important to her. And I would understand that. And it's like he's just his looks are important to him. He talks Mm -hmm. about it. He 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 is a vain person. So he's not hearing anything at this point. He is in his mind. He his life is over to him at this point. And he is processing the fact that what he he hasn't even seen what he looks like under those bandages i imagine so right yeah i mean we don't we never see it so i mean it could be like a dr doom thing where he's got one tiny little (laughs) tiny little scar uh he's imagining he looks like two-faced or something we don't know we don't even know what it is i don't know it could heal up potter even says to him like there are good plastic surgeons yeah so yeah no he's very upset very upset um that his girlfriend will not want him anymore which it's also like buddy if she doesn't want you like let her let her walk <laughs> mm-hmm. right yeah exactly like does she really love you or or what so it's just again it's a terrific scene between between the two of them uh we rejoin uh the three stooges in the swamp and winchester is once again practicing and i noticed in the uh, notes for the imdb page uh the tune that winchester is playing is suicide is painless uh, <laughs> I read that too. Like, how cool is that? I uh, like that. That's a great little gag. I mean, I, you can barely tell because it's so bad. It's wah, 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 you know, like that. But he is, the, he is playing it. And, uh, Hawkeye and BJ do their best to stop him where they stand in front of a fan and literally like blow. Yeah. They're such sh- jerks. <laughs> yeah. They blow their shirts, literally their stink onto Winchester. Winchester, uh, meets them uh he lobbies back with uh, putting on a surgical mask and uh potter comes in and says look you know the three of you wrap this up and then winchester says fine alternatives put me in different quarters and potter says well there's a room with the enlisted men and winchester's like enlisted men no you know and i again i i make fun of mash i love it but i make fun of it when it when it does stuff like this where there's the vip tent (laughs) I'm like, unless somebody's there, there's a big empty VIP tent. Just use that. Like all this would be solved. But okay, you know, the VIP tent is full when they need it to be full. So okay, that's fine. Uh <laughs> Winchester storms off and uh Potter wants to drown his sorrows with some booze. And there's a great bit where he's like, you know, oh, don't get too close. And uh, BJ puts the martini glass on a tennis racket and serves oh, yeah. it to him that way, literally with my serve. And he hands it on to him like that. So that's <laughs> a good bit. As you do with, with Colonel Potter, you know, mm-hmm. got to treat him right. So Klinger shows up and says that they breaks, breaks it up and says uh, Saunders has tried committing suicide. And they go run out and they see that they Hawkeye BJ are there too. And they stitch him up and, uh, Potter talks to the nurse and she says, Oh, I, I turned my back for, I, I left to go to the supply tent for a second. And he yells at her. He's like, you know, damn it, Lieutenant, you know, this man is not to be left alone. And 
another thing that I go through in all these episodes, when they have like a guest nurse, I'm always like, why do they do that when they have Nurse Kelly available all the time? Like we we have our regular nurses. There's Bigelow or Kelly or whatever. And every time they give like a guest nurse a role, I'm always like, why did why did they screw over Nurse Kelly, who I love? But I realize that for this episode, they have to do that because this nurse kind of screws up a couple times. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's that's what drives the bad. plot for it. He wouldn't have that for Nurse Kelly. She's on suicide watch, and she walks away. You know, yeah. we don't want that on Nurse Kelly. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. So it makes sense. They're like, okay, this is a nurse that you know isn't gonna isn't uh, long for the four seven seven. I would say. Um, I imagine those nurse characters are all like flings that the producers were having at given times during the run of the show. Jeez, Corey. <laughs> Uh, you that's, know, a, that's grim. <laughs> eh, it was the seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I think it, though. You know, I'm just, you know. <laughs> We're gonna move off that. So <laughs> with the break, and we come back. Potter talks to uh, Saunders again. Saunders again. He just he will not hear it, and he even refer, refers to himself as a fool. And Potter has a great line where he says, a man isn't a fool just because he's the victim of an accident, but he is one if he lets it, yeah, but he, but he is one if he lets it ruin his whole life. And he's not hearing it. He does not hear. He says, save this Norman Vincent Peale speech. Um, this guy is just, at least for now, unreachable. He's just completely unreachable. He doesn't want to hear anything about it. Um, so then we uh, go to the uh, round on the compound. Where, where did they leave like the sleeping pills around for him to just grab and take? I know, yeah, like, I know. They, they, yeah, why? Yeah, they're they're they are a little a little careless here. So uh, they were out on the compound. Hawkeye and BJ are getting ready to go eat. Klinger steps outside and basically says, "You guys are not allowed in." Uh, which again, they must really be pretty rancid at this point uh, because imagine, I would imagine, I would guess there were a lot of pretty bad smells just at the compound in general and after a while i'm guessing everybody that lives here you just get used to it but to the fact that bj and hawkeye are so bad that they're noticeable to everybody else that's pretty rough uh pretty rough stuff what a bunch of jerks of course stay out of the mess hall that's like the worst Klinger is so accommodating to them about it he's like i'll i'll bring you some water like yeah, they uh, set up a table for them outside, so they eat al fresco, which I actually would kind of like. I've already talked about it. I feel like half I'm, of the 4077 would be eating outside. Yeah, I'd be like, well, why would I want to eat in this drab tent like when I can yeah. eat, al- eat outside? This sounds this sounds awesome. So they're sitting there waiting for the food to be delivered. They get table service. Uh, Mulcahy comes by and kind of talks to them a little, and they even say, pull up a crate. And he's like, basically, like, yeah, I really don't want to spend any time with you guys. Now, one thing I noticed is the shots of and i i specifically wanted to mention this to you because again you you're a producer and this is the kind of thing that you have to deal with is that so the shots of hawkeye and bj on the in, on the compound with mulcahy coming up to them that's on location you can tell they're really outside they're they're not on a set they're outside as the conversation goes on there are reverse shots when BJ's talking and when Hawkeye is talking and it's all, you know, cut together into one scene because it's them having a conversation. But I noticed when they cut to Mike Farrell as BJ talking, they're outside. You can, you can tell they, that's real, that's real sunlight hitting Mike Farrell. But when they cut to all the Hawkeye reaction shots, it's on the set. They are inside. They are on the 20th century lot. And it makes me wonder, like, what would that? They probably lost. Uh, they probably lost daylight uh, when they were getting the coverage. They probably ran out of daylight by the time they hit Hawkeye, and then they is that what it would be? Maybe, and just easier to pick it up in the studio than because the studio is already pre lit, probably right. than trying to light the outs light him outside while the sun was going down or coming up or whenever the time of day is they were shooting it um but yeah it was probably a lighting thing or you know they got bad coverage or something of of hawkeye and then they just had to pick it up on another day okay so that's what it would be it would be that 
the way you would shoot a scene like that, typically, obviously, when you're shooting television, time is of the, I mean, not that it's not on a movie, but on TV, time is really of the essence because you're shooting a whole episode in like you know three days or four days or whatever it was. But the way you would do it is, I'm guessing, right? You would shoot the master, which is all three of our actors, and then you would shoot over the shoulder McKay to, let's say in this case, Mike Farrell first, for whatever reason they chose to do that. And they would shoot all of his stuff in one go because then he's lit and they would just do, okay, here's your line. Here's your next line. And then they would move on to Hawkeye. And you could say in the time it took to do those three setups, they would lose the light and they realize, okay, we got to do this with Hawkeye separately. Yeah. I mean, that's one possibility. It could have been that, um, I don't know, Alan Alda was goofing around when they did his (laughs) coverage. It could have been that Alan Alan Alda had to leave. Or something, mm, mm-hmm. you know, and and just was was not was already gone when it was time for his coverage or something like that. Um, so there's all sorts of reasons it could have happened, but yeah, that's like not an uncommon trick. And so anytime they're shooting anything outdoors on Mash, that's going to be more complicated than when they're doing the inside stuff because they have elements to deal with that could create all whatever. Just different problems. If it rains, if it, which doesn't happen much in Los Angeles, so mm-hmm, probably not. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's just harder to shoot outside. It's harder to keep your actors from sweating and keeping them dry in each shot. That's like something that actually happens a lot between takes on everything that you watch. Is somebody gets dampened, like they they get their forehead like patted down and and their their forehead and noses powdered and then they do the shot so it would be harder to keep the actors like from getting really wet and sticky um if you were shooting a lot outside gotcha in gotcha. los angeles I, I i love how this stuff is pieced together you know it really is like a jigsaw puzzle where it's you would like geez they had to shoot that scene and then slice in a whole other setup maybe shot on a completely different day you know whatever i just i find it so fascinating on on this show for sure they were they were splicing together all sorts of weird random outdoor locations that were probably close by to the home base of the set so yeah kind of a great mishmash of 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 different shots Mm -hmm. so now yeah right um so uh mulcahy leaves them and Hawkeye and BJ to continue to talk. And we learn that they are getting so offensive that they are starting to offend each other. That even the level of stink that is coming off each one of them is permeating the stink <laughs> for each other. And they're getting on each other's nerves now. And, you know, they're both kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, isn't it amazing that uh, one person's uh has it just a particular odor and another person doesn't and bj's sort of like what do you mean you don't have what and so it's getting even oh even to them they're both getting annoyed at each other that this is this is continuing and escalating even further so we cut to winchester continuing to play the horn we hear some noise and hawkeye bj are outside and they are they have crafted a kind of one-man band thing made of some old barrels and a kazoo and they're just making this giant racket and Winchester. You, he's using a mallet. And I'm like, where did he get the mallet from <laughs> to pound the side of that drum? I, you know, I, I think I've seen them use chisels occasionally for things for like bone and stuff. So maybe that's what the mallet is for that. You can have, they need those occasionally or to do that. Oh, you know? Hey, maybe you're coming, uh, you know, Clearly, props just had a mallet around. They had a mallet, right? <laughs> Somebody had a kazoo that they could grab, you know, yeah, probably Radar, yeah. who's not in this episode, by the way, no Radar. Uh, oh, maybe right. maybe he has a kazoo or something. So they're playing the kazoo, and it's just a racket. I mean, it's just – and Winchester retorts by playing the horn. So when you hear this, and then – so it's just, it's just a cacophony of stuff. And then we cut to the post-op, and we hear what, what the people inside here. We hear it going on and one of the nurses says this is getting ridiculous and they all get up and they look out the window and just in like the 10 seconds they are looking away saunders who uh you know all more all power to him doesn't miss a trick uh <laughs> immediately gets up and runs out of the room potter hears the noise and he says something like time for a permanent intermission as he's running out to the compound, he hears one of the nurses yell, Saunders! 
that stops him. And he, she says, we only turned our backs on him for a second and he was gone. And he says, I told you people to keep an eye on him. And so, again, he is getting pissed at this, understandably. Then he finds him. He finds Saunders in the OR. And this is the scene we were talking about at the top of the show where Saunders is trying to kill himself with this ether mask. It's I, just this, this, this amazing imagery. And if I had seen this when I was a kid, it would have scared me. I wouldn't have understood what that ether mask was <laughs> and, you know, what its purpose was. It's just some, it's, it's some striking imagery. You've got this soldier like behind this glass door who's locked himself into this room, but he is, he's got this black gas mask on his face. Like, and he's, I mean, it's like a, such a dramatic way to, to take yourself out. Um, and then, and then Potter bursts in. And how does Potter get in? Does he just like bang down the door? No, oh, it just, it just, it's not locked or anything. He just, he sees him through the window and he just pushes through. Uh, cause he's seeing there. And uh, so he tries, Potter turns off the ether tank. And so you, know, you can hear like the, you know, fade away to nothing. And then Saunders says, I want to end this. Don't you understand? Just leave me alone. And that's when Potter does the switch. Uh, and he says, I love it. He says, all right, you want to do it? Let's really do it. And he starts turning the nozzle back on. You'll need some help. You've screwed up everything else. You might as well get this right. Put the mask over your face. Go ahead. I won't stop you. Do it. And he says it again. Do it. Go on. Do it. And then he says, fine, here, let me help you. And he grabs Saunders by the back of the head and sticks the ether mask on. And he has one of the great, I think, Potter lines ever. You want death? We got plenty around here. This monologue that comes from Potter is great. It's why I wanted to talk about the episode. It it it, it comes like out of nowhere in this yep. like goofy episode yep. where the, the A plot and the B plot, as you were talking about, have just crossed paths and it's not what you're expecting. Like it's, you know, that comedy happens in threes. He's tried to commit suicide twice. Like what's this one going to be? And it's like, Oh boy, it is, it is, it is terrifying scene. And Potter has a brilliant little monologue and he scares him. He scares this soldier into caring about his life. It's, it's such like a, it's not, it's like beyond reverse psychology. He takes it further than that. He puts the mask on him. He makes him breathe it in. Like yep. Harry Morgan just absolutely crushes this scene. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I go on and on about why Colonel Potter is just such a masterful character. Cause he seems so, warm and avuncular and then when he's when he sees this he's now i mean he knows he's yeah we know that he's not really going to do this he knows this is this is reverse psychology on a razor's edge kind of thing but he's betting that this guy really doesn't want to kill himself he really doesn't and so he's showing him like look you really want death this is what death is like but man you want death we got plenty around here i mean Wow, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like Jiminy Christmas, and he's yelling at him, and his his face is red. And then we see that Saunders starts getting a couple of probably very uncomfortable big gulps of this ether, and we see the actor kind of go like, we see his cheeks suck in, and we realize that he actually is starting to get a lot of it, and he starts trying to pull his face. He tries to pull his face off of it, and Potter won't let him. Potter has his hand on the guy's neck, and he will not let it off and then finally he gets it off for a moment and he says you're trying to kill me and he says that's what you want you want to die i'm here to help you now (laughs) season six in generally in mash has been on the lighter side i would say you know i mean the mash always was comedy drama and as the show would go on it would lean more into drama than comedy but i think after seasons four and five which were as i have already said so funny, but I also think very experimental in some cases and very dramatic in some ways. I think season six, they tried to lighten it up a little bit, but then they do this to you where in the middle of this episode, as you were talking about Corey, for such a silly a plot, this thing is just, and you know, this is the kind of thing where this is what mash made Matt. Why was mash, you know, why the show became the, the icon that it became because it delivered things like this. It could insert this in the middle of such a silly storyline and do it so well. Cause this scene between these two actors, just top of the mark. 
Yeah, so good. I mean, so good. That's why I'm like, this was probably um, what got him his his 25 year gig on Guiding Light. So he's fantastic. Just a great scene. It's a great piece of acting. Colonel Potter is the ultimate father, like doing what needs to be done. He doesn't waste a second when he realizes that the strategy, his his current strategy is not going to work. And this guy is like, you know, I'm going to kill myself one way or another. Like, why do you keep trying to stop me? He just immediately switches to the next tactic without wasting a second. Um, it's like, that's a, that's a person who cares about his, his children, his men. Like he, he did what he had to do to, to give this person the help that they needed at that moment, right then and there. And he crosses the line when he does <laughs> what he does. And if, if that happened today, he would get called out for it by whoever, you know, like, mm-hmm. It's it's too much. He he he. It's too much when he forces the mask on that person's face. <laughs> but that's that is what Saunders needs in that moment. He he needs to want to live, and Potter gives that to him in in that crazy reverse psychology moment. So, kudos to uh, kudos. Like what a great scene, what great performances, what great writing, and so in the middle of. of such a random episode. So. And and you can hear them playing the the music outside during this whole scene. You could still hear that like the silliness going on while this is happening. So I mean these two plot lines are literally overlapping and Saunders manages to to you know get free and he says and he starts putting up his fists and he says, you know, leave me alone if you if you come near me so help you I'll kill you. And then Potter says, now you're fighting to live instead of fighting to die. And the, the guy collapses on Potter's shoulder and starts to cry and takes him away. And he, he has this, they, they, you know, they needed to lighten it a little bit. So we got Potter saying, I'm too old for this kind of crap, which is, <laughs> this is great. And then he even, he grabs the backs of his, uh, of his jacket and he says, I think I tore my shorts. <laughs> It's a great, great button oh, right. way to kind of go out of the scene, you know, like, okay, let's lighten it up a little bit here. Um, now we're back out on the compound and we see everyone has a gathered and they're in kind of tarps. Klinger has a fireman's hat. I'd love to know where he got that. Uh, <laughs> and they start spraying Hawkeye and BJ with water and they douse them. They douse them to the point where they're just laying on the ground and they're covered in water. And then they grab two of the nurses with, uh, Buckets of soapy water. One of the nurses, in fact, the nurse that Hook I just propositioned, grabs a sponge and starts scrubbing at him and stuff like that. And did you say he starts hugging her almost immediately? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at all that dirty soapy water they're throwing on them. But you just made it. You just actually um, brought something up that's that's actually kind of interesting. They pro- they they do they hose them down first, right mm-hmm. at the beginning of that moment. And yep. Klinger does have the fire hat on. They probably have a. Uh, they're probably using a fire truck like that's out of the shot, but that's right, like, right. what the hose is connected to. It's yeah. Like, I mean, how would, how would they, how would, how would the mesh, how would 477 even have that kind of water pressure? Right, <laughs> Where no. would that even come from? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. But you're right. Yeah. They can't, they can't generate that anywhere. They have no, they have no ability. Yeah, they're lucky I they bet have you any they... water pressure at all. I bet you they just had a fire truck that was like, you can use our fire truck for five minutes to shoot this and, <laughs> you know, hook, hook the hose up to a hydrant or something and let them go at it. I've never thought about that. I well, Why 40, else would he have the fire hat? You made 40 it, you years made I've been watching this episode. I've never thought, how did they get water pressure like that? But of course, there's no way nope, they could. Nope. They can't have that. So. They scrub Hawkeye and BJ down. Winchester's enjoying it. He's partying. Like, yeah. And he's even like, at one point, he's even like pointing at little spots like, oh, you missed the spot. And of course, he's not realizing that, uh, you know, the joke's on him as well. Margaret shows up, grabs the horn, and she yells, third wave. Loretta Swit manages to get that incredibly shrill voice she, she can get to when, when she does Margaret yelling, third wave. It's kind of like a Miss Piggy <laughs> sort of thing. Totally. Um, the Jeep comes by, and I love that Winchester just watches it happen. We hear him like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you know, I mean, if he jumped he, in front of the Jeep, they weren't going to run him over, but he just lets it happen. 
he does just let it happen. And I believe that the they, the horn changes shapes in the shot. Like yes. It's right. There was something weird with that. They must have had to get they must have had to do it twice. Probably. And, and they didn't have a, a, a second horn to match the French horn. So that's int- I felt really bad for Charles in this moment. I was just like, that's not cool. That's not fair. That's like <laughs> not the same thing as those guys refusing to take a shower and like making them bathe. They were just yeah. being, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> Winchester's a great speech calling them all Visigoths. And he says, you take the one piece of, you know, piece of culture and you run it under your pagan wheels. And of course, the, that, that gets uh, everyone to laugh and clap. Uh, because of course, it's kind of a little bit of a speech that he's in a very Winchester-y manner. Potter comes out, picks up the horn. Again, it's a great prop because it's, it's the, the horn, but it's been completely flattened. Uh, and, uh, you know, Potter hands it back to him. He says, yours, I believe. And Potter initially kind of reviews everything. And he says, you know, like, all right, who's responsible for all this. And of course, you know, you're thinking that he's in a, he's in a bad mood because we just know what he just dealt with. You know, he's dealing with really important stuff and these, the whole camp is doing this nonsense. And then he leads off with his beginning at 2200 hours. You're all hereby confined dot, dot, dot. To the officers club for the duration of the whiskey. And everybody's like, yay. And then he, again, he goes even further. Pierce, Honeycutt and Winchester are buying. Yay. And it's like, yeah, but again, Potter, greatest commander you would ever want in the history of anything. This is your guy. Potter needs this. This is really all about Potter who also just, he needs camaraderie and a drink because he just had an intense moment with his soldier Saunders who, by the way, like, if a soldier, I, I don't know much about the military, if a soldier was suicidal, would that get them discharged from the army? <laughs> I don't believe I, well, okay, the the members of the MASHCAST family that are military veterans, please answer in the comments over on fineWaterPodcast.com. Uh, Major Joe Price or Captain Entropy, you guys know better than me, but I, my uh, uninformed opinion that's never stopped me before would be that no it doesn't get you discharged they would probably send him to Sidney Friedman at the very right. least to right. to now and maybe then Sidney would make the estimation this guy can be cured quote unquote to the point where he can be returned to active duty or maybe he's not maybe he's going home maybe the 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 scarring is so severe that he's going home anyway I mean, they Poor talk about he's going to go, go see home. Linda, so maybe he's going yeah. home no matter what. But wow. I'm going to assume that they would not, for someone who has tried to kill themselves, I'm going to assume they would not just ship him home. They would actually send him to uh, a hospital for evaluation, and then once he's proven that he is no longer suicidal, then he's rotated home or whatever. But but yeah, I think at some point, I, he's got some visits with Sidney Friedman in, in his future, I would say. So then, uh, you know, Winchester... Tries to get out of paying for the booze and, and Hawkeye and BJ say, no, 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 we're paying. That means you're paying too. And he says, look at my horn. And Potter says, oh, it's, uh, we, you know, bring it by. We'd love to hear it. And that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the end of our, the end of our main act. Um, so then we come back for the button scene. We see Hawkeye and BJ looking quite spiffy. BJ, uh, Hawkeye is actually in slightly like a dress shirt. He's even dressed up more than he normally would be. They talk about, you know, Winchester's like, oh, it's nice to have some fresh air around here. And then we get um, the Korean merchant played by Richard Lee Sung, the great Richard Lee Sung, who did a bunch of MASH episodes, was never not funny in every single appearance he was ever given. The guy could just wring every laugh out of a line. He comes by and he brings Sang Mu as he's playing and he's rebuilt the horn. And this is really one of the show's great props, this thing, because it is some sort of Terry Gilliam-esque mm-hmm. <laughs> combination. He says, I took out to get parts from several different horns, and we see that the thing has got more valves, all sorts of stuff on it. Uh, but then Winchester points out, there's no mouthpiece. And I love Richard Lee Sung saying, he goes, yeah. <laughs> He's very <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> and Winchester goes, What do you mean, yeah? Which <laughs> is such a great Richard Lee Song was so funny that he could make that one word be funny. Just the way, yeah. He's so very proud of it. You know, yeah. 
Um, kind of like when he made the, the, the wood bust for, for Colonel Potter, where he says, it doesn't look like, uh, Colonel Potter looks like you. And he says, yeah. Does, and I get the Colonel keep appearing on the show until the end of the show. Not to the very end, but he would continue to make appearances, I think through season 10. So every time he was just a ringer. I mean, he just, every time they needed someone, one of the, uh, like, a, again, a, a, a South Korean to be funny. That's the guy they got because he was just it's so funny. He was so good in, in every single episode. And then the show ends with Winchester flipping the horn, flipping the horn, seeing that there's absolutely no way to play this thing. And then he just kind of has a half smile. And that's the end of our episode. A wonderful episode. This is good stuff, people. Watch this one tonight. Absolutely. It is a terrific show. I mentioned at the top that it was directed by Stuart Millar. Uh, he passed away in 2006. This is his sole mash credit he only did one episode of the show which is i always find a little strange of why you always do one but who knows we went on to other things um he had mostly a tv directing career he directed a couple of movies he directed a western called when the legends die which he also also produced his really other notable feature film credit is rooster cogburn with john wayne and Catherine hepburn so i mean that's a credit uh, he was also a producer, and as a producer, he actually had a much more successful run than he did as a director. Uh, he produced films like Little Big Man with Dustin Hoffman, The Birdman of Alcatraz with Burt Lancaster, and Paper Lion, which starred Alan Alda. Uh, and so, and that was before uh, Alan Alda ever did MASH, so these two know each other at this point. But uh, yeah, so, yeah, those are some massive credits, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so those are odd yeah. those are like oscar nominated slash oscar winning yeah. movies so yeah that was a good you know good for you uh Stuart Merlar. but like i said this is his his sole episode of, of my show yeah i mean i mentioned at the top i i find the whole stinky plot to just be purposely unpleasant uh but it's still funny there's a lot of great gags in it and the potter stuff is just top top level mash so all in all uh-huh. a really great episode Woo! so Corey. Do you have a favorite line or joke from? We went through a bunch of them and then the detailing. Yeah, so do you have a favorite I, joke I, or line from the show? Just listening to us go over them again, um, I do like I, I do like that last uh, line when what he says, "Bring it back, I'd like to hear it. Bring it by, I'd like to hear it. <laughs> We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's great. Like that's great delivery. That's classic Potter. Like that's great." <laughs> absolutely he just any you know he's so dry we'd love to hear it and he just walks out of the frame and leaving winchester to stand there uh my favorite actually is in the mess tent when hawkeye and bj uh, tell colonel potter that they purposely haven't showered and he just surmises why like it's national pig week (laughs) it's a great (laughs) national pig week i just think that's a great turn of phrase again this is a real colonel potter episode you know harry morgan just really bringing it uh, in this show so well Corey, you've done your first full regular mash cast episode i hope you enjoyed the process i really did and i uh i hope i get to cover an up an episode again in uh in maybe the next era of mash and the dramatic the more dr- the most dramatic era of mash is that what's coming up last i would say so yes i would say yeah. the show the show the comedy drama uh balance starts tilting a little more 50 50 than it was before does the season finale go like full drama the series finale or is it light uh no i would argue it's not lighthearted. no amazing it's it's, it's very funny there's a lot of funny stuff in it but it it's 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 a drama i would argue that the, the finale is a drama Pretty That'll much. be an exciting thing to watch. So you should I, get to that in like what another four or five oh, years. Dear God, um, I don't want to even think about that. But <laughs> I, I am looking forward to to hearing what you think about the show as you're watching it. I mentioned this to Rick Heineken, who was on the show a couple episodes ago, who was also watching it as this as this podcast rolls on. He's watching it like that, and I'm so envious of someone who could watch Mash again for the first time. You know, like I I don't have that experience. I've seen every episode so much. It's they are, they're just like songs that I know. And while that's great, I would, the thought of like being able to be like, Hey, watching something for the first time, that's so cool. So I envy you that experience and I'm looking forward to having you back on and talk about other episodes just as you're getting to them and they're super fresh to you. 
awesome. I cannot wait to give you my solid opinions on all of these things. Me too. So I will, I will mention everybody. I'm, we should be really impressed that Corey is still awake because, uh, Corey has mentioned <laughs> often that he puts on episodes from the network, the Fine Water Podcast Network, all the shows that we put out when he goes to sleep and it's kind of like an <laughs> ASMR sort of thing. And he was worried that he was going to fall asleep when talking to me, but he stayed awake through the whole thing. So. Well done, Corey. I really I had a spot of tea. I didn't put you to sleep. No, thank you, Rob. Your 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 soothing voice. Uh, <laughs> while it did relax me, I I managed to stay awake. I, no one's ever called me soothing before, so I appreciate that. So, uh, well, again, Corey, thank you so much. You are three fifths on your way to a Robbie, by the way, because you've now been on three of my solo shows. You got to get five. What are, what am I missing? What do I got? What other so solo? Uh, shows well, there's Treasury Cast. Uh, and then, well, unfortunately for, for all mankind, that, that show is in its final year and we've kind of, I've got all the show episodes booked for that one, but already uh, all booked. We'll yeah. do a bonus episode of for all mankind where, well, we can... there's also, well, okay. We, we, we should talk about this off air, but there's also mountain comics, that other show. You haven't done that. Oh, show. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd love to do mountain comics. I love your, your opening song for mountain comics. On the, <laughs> the Pocono. So yeah, we, there, there's, there's other shows for me to do that you could get your, your, Robbie. Right. So again, I want a Robbie. I totally want a Robbie. Absolutely. So, well, again, thank everybody for listening. Of course, you can find all the back episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. I would appreciate it if you could leave an iTunes review or Apple Podcast review. That would really help. You can find the show over on Twitter at MASH477Cast. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So a big salute to Daniel Ulrich, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, Dan Peel, Mike Thomas, Joe Perino, Billy Shulman, Dennis Bailey, Kara Kay, Tim English, Adam Ackerman, Lisa P., Laura Braun, Stefan Van Skyke, Michael Kelly, and Daryl Clark. Thank you so much, everybody. So we will hey, see you next thank week. You. Thank <laughs> yes. you. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. Absolutely. Keep giving those, those, those uh, Patreon uh, uh, donations, people. They help. They help. You they heard Hoops, everybody. Corey's a producer. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> thanks everybody for listening. We will see you next week. But until then, that is all. Glad to see you boys are working this out. Major, will you shut your mouth, please? Now, why didn't we think of that?